Luxicult is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. It is better to live, even to live miserably. A living man can always get a cow. I saw fire consume the rich man's property, and death stood without his door. That is verse 70 of the Habamal. Hello and welcome to Lexicol. It's a podcast where we gleefully taunt the mundane, butcher the Latin, and most other languages, and we also discuss a variety of occult topics. I'm your host, Lux Estrada. And if you're hearing this, then this show, and magic for that matter, are for you if you want them. There are a lot of different ways to be more free, and using magic or making space for a spiritual practice in your life can be one of them. As always, I don't speak for anybody but myself. Others can, will, and should disagree sometimes. How would we ever learn anything if we all agreed all the time after all? And like anyone who likes to try to be reasonable should, uh, I'm willing to revise my opinions based on new evidence. All right, so I asked Eris to help me pick the verse from the Habamal that I read to you a second ago, because today we are talking about chaos heathenry and also lots of other stuff. My guest is the multi-talented Lonnie Scott, who is the host of Weird Web Radio, a paranormal and occult podcast. He's also the co-author of El Has a Blaze, Compendium of Chaos Heathenry, which I did get the chance to check out, and it's very rad. He has been a heathen and sorcerer for over 30 years. Lonnie has been a steward, ambassador, and high-read member of the Trof, a member of the ADF, El Has Fellowship, Prairie Sky Grove ADF, and founder of the Wayfinder Tradition. Lonnie was the recipient of the Trust 2020 Rod Landreth Memorial Service and Outreach Award. Um, he is also an award-winning Tarot reader, receiving Tarotist of the Year 2014 from the Tarosophy Tarot Professionals Association. He's taken Jason Miller's strategic sorcery course, earning his way into the strategy and enjoys fellowship with various other magical and pagan communities including kicking it with us sometimes in the Green Mushroom Project chats during Fungal Friday. So fuck yeah, dude. Much love. Uh, Lonnie is a professional hypnotist, a certified hypnotist instructor, meditation teacher, neurolinguistic programming practitioner. He was also featured in season two of the award-winning series Hellier, which we are going to be talking about a little bit later on in the interview. So yes, all kinds of stuff there. Uh, we don't talk much about it today because we were focusing on other stuff, but since it is spooky season, I feel I should mention that Lonnie talks a lot about hauntings, etc. in his show, so definitely dig into Weird Web Radio if you haven't already. Uh, you can hear an episode featuring me in which my misunderstanding or maybe confusion surrounding the concept of hauntings comes up. Uh, it was an awesome conversation, so many thanks to Lonnie for having me as a guest. 
All right. Speaking of which, I would like to say thank you so much for listening to Lexicult Podcast. You can find me on Instagram at lexicultpod, and you can email me at lexicultpod at gmail.com. I always love to hear from everybody, so don't be shy. Um, if you're into what I'm doing, tell a friend and consider joining the Lexicult Patreon, where you can take a bibliomancy break with me. Um, so yeah, anybody that joins the Patreon, I will do a bibliomancy reading for you. And there are no tears, so give as you will. Um, I really appreciate everybody who is already doing that. Your support really fucking means a lot, so thank you so much. Okay, so I'm going to be back during the breaks to give you some programming notes and updates and stuff about things, including the Green Mushroom Project, which will be turning one year old this Halloween. Fuck yeah. Much love to everybody participating in the project, no matter what that looks like for you. After the interview, I'm also going to share about an experience I had last month conducting an experiment involving divination, dreaming, and deity work, as well as play you the track which resulted from it. So stick around for that if you're curious. But for now, let's get into it. Here is my interview with Lonnie Scott. Liney, thank you so much for being on my show. I really appreciate it, dude. Thank you for having me. I even almost said, hey, welcome to Weird Web Radio. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, you are the host of Weird Web Radio, as well as a, a bunch of other things. Could you give a little bit of an introduction to the people that might not be familiar with your work? Oh, my goodness. Um I am the host of Weird Web Radio, a paranormal and occult podcast just launched into season six. Our wonderful host here, Lux, has been a guest on my show, and we love and appreciate her for that. I'm also a professional hypnotist, hypnosis instructor, professional tarot reader, rune reader. Um, identify myself as a heathen, mostly spiritually. I am, am have occupied several leadership positions in the international organization known as the Troth. I uh, currently am a global ambassador for them and the Midwest steward. If you want to get the down, dirty, sexy title, as I like to call it, uh, K-Onimist Heathen Sorcerer. Um, I was a co-author of the El Blaze Compendium of Chaos Heathenry. I have an upcoming book with Llewellyn someday, if I ever finish writing it, <laughs> about um, practical magic and hauntings. I'm really big into investigating um, the the nature of hauntings from the perspective of someone who is a sorcerer rather than someone who's just looking for evidence of something happening in a haunted place. So, I mean, right off the top of my head, these are some of the hats I wear both professionally and for fun. Okay. Fuck. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I love the concept of heathenry and that was one of the, one of the reasons I was hoping to talk to you today. Like, so, all right, for somebody who's never heard the term heathenry before, how would you define that practice or tradition? Sure. Uh, heathen is a very general term, and similar in effect to the way pagan is used in a general way to, de to describe a lot of different things that fall under that one umbrella. And as a heathen, you... Um, are someone who is practicing some sort of religion or spirituality that is reconstructed or reimagined from the pre-conversion days of uh, Northern Europe. 
being Scandinavia, England, and the uh, main Germanic lands of Europe. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, like, I'm curious, what is so attractive about this practice for you? For me, it's funny. I, I didn't start out that way. I came into heathenry through the runes and using runes as a form of magic and divination, mainly the Elder Futhark. And for many, many years, like it was chaos magic was my thing and how I came up. And I was always trying to find ways to explore other avenues of the occult and magic, looking for the best way to like plug into power like we all do. Right. Mm -hmm. So as I'm going along through the years and, and I'm it's simultaneous journey with chaos magic is my use of the elder food arc magically. Um, I meet different people along the way and I would keep, I would keep running into people online, especially because there weren't very many people around here where I live that were into this kind of thing. And when I'd go online, I'd have these great conversations and I'd learn a lot, but something would inevitably come up that would be an issue of race or gender or uh, LGBTQ issues or something to that effect. And while I have that free pass into all these groups, I'm a straight white appearing man, right? I can, mm -hmm. if I keep my mouth shut, I can enter any heathen gathering of any kind and no one will question my presence. That's kind of fucked up on the surface of it though, because why can't my black trans friend enter every single heathen gathering without being questioned, which is the problem. And I kept encountering that problem over and over and over and over again. There are people out there in the realm of heathenry who call themselves folkish. And while there may be a few here and there who don't realize just how tainted that word is and use it in a way that people might misjudge them, um, they really need to get with the current times and understand that folkish is a flag waving for the racist they're the racist crowd. They're, they're the people who will judge others based on their gender and their sexuality and so on. So they gatekeep these, these traditions and these methods based on these idiotic notions of, of uh, gender and sexuality and so on. And I would get disgusted that I would be in these really great conversations in online forums with people who until some issue like that came up, you wouldn't know that they harbored those ideas. So I just kept playing around with runes magically and not entering the realm of heathenry totally. Until I discovered the website El Haza Blaze and started reading the writing of a wonderful individual who's gone by um, more than a few names now. And... I started understanding that there were people like me who were entering the realm of heathenry the same way I was. They were coming through it as magic using people who weren't looking for some great God on a throne to be, Oh, thank you. Great white one. <laughs> they were looking for like the mysteries of the universe and how to puzzle them out and, and, and wrap their hands around that kind of power and understand those deeper mysteries of life and death. And they were doing it through a lens that was heathen and they called themselves chaos heathens. And I instantly fell in love with them. <laughs> they were some of the most brilliant people I've ever met. And that's still true to this day. Um, the thing about this is 
in the within the heathen mythos, you have mostly coming from Nordic culture, you have elves and dragons and dwarves. You have spirits in every tree and river and lake uh, in the ocean itself. You have characters who are so reverent but irreverent at the same time encountering gods and spirits. You know, like one of my favorite stories is a is a guy in a saga throwing an offering into the stream that goes by his farm. And he's like, just leave me the fuck alone, basically. <laughs> <laughs> just please stop fucking with me. Here. Right? <laughs> I mean, what's not to like about this? So <laughs> and then, of course, you get into the, the like the bigger stories, the Eddas, where you get the adventures of Odin and Thor and Loki, who are often featured in the same stories together. And, and, and all their mishaps and challenges and things that they get into. You get the stories of scant stories, but stories that concern the goddesses such as Freya and Scotty and Frigg, um, Gerd and others. You, you get the story of how Freyr goes after the, the goddess Gerd because he's so enamored with her and the god awful way that he plots a course to, to win her over, but it gives you, it gives you this window into like how people thought before. And it's mm-hmm. not like you're trying to bring shitty things forward. It's, it's, it's more about the, 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 what's at the heart of all that myth and it's real magic and it's an animistic worldview. One of my favorite stories is like when Frigg is trying to make sure that nothing will kill her son, Balder and she goes around and asks every living thing, please don't harm my son and getting that promise from them. And then of course, spoiler alert, mistletoe. <laughs> the mistletoe. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Too soon. Too soon. Well, no. Uh, so, you so know, innocent. Like nobody that. would have thought to ask it, right? Like, yeah. So innocent. Nobody thought to ask. And then of course there's all these machinations of Loki and so on. It's just part of the stories it pushes forward. And, you know, deeper than that still, you know, like I get so excited still. And I've read it. I don't know how many times like Voluspa, the prophecy of the Cirrus and the idea that, Odin is calling some spirit from the grave in some accounts and demanding answers from this spirit. And the spirit looks at Odin himself and is like, I told you wanted you what you wanted to know. Would you dare to know more? Go fuck yourself already. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> and you get the hints of like the great tree, Yggdrasil, and this supposed to hold all the worlds within it and how its roots run deep into all these different, you know, into this different rivers and streams and wells. The rainbow bridge is very dope. I love that idea too. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. And Heimdall who's supposed to stand on the bridge. Like Heimdall is a bad motherfucker that doesn't get enough attention. And I just (laughs) want to point people to the writings at uh, seohellroom.com, seohellroom.com by Kat Heath. Because she explores some of these things concerning Heimdall. And all I want to point out is that like when Thor's hammer has to be retrieved from the giants because of Loki, you know, <laughs> and, and people are looking for solutions and all the giants want is like, well, just give us the sun and moon and Freya. No big deal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so they go to Freya and they're like, look, you know, we're going to give them the sun and moon. 
<laughs> get up there. You're next. And she's like, I don't fucking think so. You figure it out. And Heimdall's like, let's dress Thor up as a woman. <laughs> That'll trick him. <laughs> That'll trick him. <laughs> it works for a little while. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah. I'm almost like the, the, the mafia godfather that nobody pays enough attention to. And he ends up getting people into some shit. <laughs> That's very funny. Yeah. Yeah. So he's one of my favorite characters who are, is, it gets ignored largely, you know. And I don't know. I, I feel like I've rambled a bit, but like one of the most important concepts that come out of heathenry for me are Yggdrasil, the world tree and the well where the Norns are supposed to be at work dealing with, you know, the waters that are actually made of all of memory of everything that ever was and is and will be and how their relationship is with that and the tree and how those waters are used to heal the tree. And yes, absolutely. And for those people that aren't familiar with the Norns, it's like a, a sort of like trio, like a sort of like past present and future trio of like these weavers, right. That are. Yeah. In a way um, it's, I think it's, I mean, anyone could approach it however they want. No one, there's no surviving text of any sort that comes from pre-conversion days that says this is how to heathen and anybody that tries to sell you that <laughs> is just trying to set them up themselves up as grand poobah and they suck um <laughs> but f- for me it's always seen weavers is an accurate description because there's a lot about how fates are intertwined and destinies are intertwined and all the destinies of these different figures in the sagas and so on but the past, present, future thing, I think it, that's that's more of how the Greeks might have seen the fates. And mm. I and the Norns are definitely that, I think, that same force from that same Indo-European root, you know, of people recognizing this. Um, but for me, it's always been more about past being the most powerful driving force. Uh, Earth, or weird as her name is in Anglo-Saxon, is the Norn who shows up way more in the surviving literature than any other of the Norns. Verthandi is the the moment, the present. You know, I always think of her as the becoming. It's the past, the inevitability of the past as it becomes the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all the, the myriad choices, the decisions and events that have been occurring all around you as they culminate right now as we are. And Skilled, who people call the future, I've always felt like is better thought of as debt rather than future. <laughs> if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Like a balancing. A destiny is one thing. Yes. Uh, debt is sort of like the inevitability of actions as they unfold. Yeah. That makes total sense, actually. Yeah. yeah. Sort of like, you know, there's something that has been put into play and like, what will this resulting thing be? Right. Yeah. It's a small play on language, I think, but it's an important one I, to get deeper into the heart of what these mysteries are. Well, hell yeah. Okay. So <laughs> we've touched on this a little bit already, but like, I was curious for those who aren't familiar, like what does a chaos heathenry quote, you know, practice look like, you know? <laughs> um, whatever the fuck you want. No. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> As should anyone's practice. It should look whatever way makes sense to you. Yes. yes. Um, chaos heathenry. 
is simp has always simply been described by uh, the people who coined the term as uh, chaos magicians who find spiritual harbor in heathenry and really is no more complicated than that. And for me, I think it captures more of the, I, we, more of the spirit of what maybe a pre-conversion heathen magic user may have been anyway. Uh, we know that Germanic and Scandinavian people were, if nothing, very practical and clever people. And uh, I, I've no doubt that if they had access to a hardware store, <laughs> you know, in Walmart, they would have plundered the damn things for their utensils and whatnot to make their magic happen too. These were adventurous people. They, they explored, they traded with other cultures. No doubt that they would have encountered other gods and traditions and styles of magic. In fact, many historians think that's how they even got the runic alphabet to begin with is bumping up against these other cultures. And why would you ignore what's amazing and good from someone that's not you and learn how to use it if it can apply and help your own people. Odin himself in the mythos travels the worlds and, you know, he's doing learning and doing different things to stave off Ragnarok ultimately. But I mean, this, this is a, this is a God energy that you're going to encounter it at the crossroads, just as much as you're going to encounter at the gallows and a drum circle and a, just a campfire and so on. So chaos heathenry is capturing that spirit that results driven kind of magic that is willing to plug into uh, skill sets that may not necessarily be heathen, if that makes sense. So a good example would be uh, meditation. Meditation is a super powered great practice for everyone to have. And it's not necessarily even a magic practice, right? It comes from, you know, some, most meditations that people think of come from Eastern religions. It depends on how we define magic. Yes. but Yeah. Totally. Right. So when a, uh, a magician or a magic user is meditating, there's certainly some magical intent behind their practice. And that turns it more into a magical practice. There's no record of meditation in the heathen sagas and Nordic, you know, surviving Nordic culture, pre-conversion, so on. There's nothing in there. I mean, you could guess and you can construe things and be like, maybe that's what they're doing when they go under the cloak. Yeah. I don't well, know. Well, we have stories but, about like Odin, like hanging himself and, you know, off of, you the, know. Uh, off of the tree. Like, you know, like that seems like a, a very intense meditative process, yeah. possibly. I'm not sure. Yeah. But yes. Yeah. Death posture X games. <laughs> yeah so i you know that's just it's just one example it, it, meditation is something that's super awesome for anyone into magic to do and has a library of benefits to your practice and as a heathen or a magic using heathen like it's got nothing to do with heathenry specifically but it can absolutely bolster the practice today and there there's countless other things like that like i read tarot for divination purposes tarot absolutely did not exist in ye old heathen past nor did it exist pre-conversion at all mm -hmm. um that's a 
relatively modern invention compared to some of the more ancient practices people try to get into. And, you know, there's, that's my occult drug of choice. And I'm absolutely a heathen when I'm shuffling those cards still. So, you know, that, that, that's a chaos heathen mindset though, that comes into my practice because it's useful, it's functional, and it gets me the results that I'm seeking. There yeah. Well, it. fuck. Yeah. That's yes. That is all we need. Right. Yep. <laughs> Hey, what's up? It's Lexa from the future. Thanks for listening. I hope you're enjoying the conversation. I'm here with a few programming notes to tell you about. Super stoked to be speaking. It's a lot of S's in there. <laughs> Super stoked to be speaking with Amy from the Unearthing Paranormalcy podcast soon about some of her experiences communicating with the dead. And I'm also really looking forward to speaking with Matt from Spirifier Tarot and getting some of his insights about the tarot and all kinds of other stuff. As I might have mentioned before, the Green Mushroom Project will be turning one year old on Halloween this year, which I'm very excited about. Um, we're going to be doing a sort of ritual celebrating death and birth uh, to mark that occasion. Uh, really looking forward to that. Um, it will also be the launch of the Sapratroph Servitor Network. This is a network of green mushroom servitors that are a sort of magical species and that they all share a common base programming but can also be individualized for individual practitioners through interacting and making them uh, so yeah we're really excited about that this is some stuff that we've been beta testing for the last couple months and i've really enjoyed working with mine i think i've had a lot of good results and um yeah actually some sort of life-changing stuff so i'm i'm pretty stoked about it uh so yes, looking forward to that. Um, there's going to be a bunch of links in the show notes about the Green Mushroom Project um, if you are curious about it. Uh, we usually meet on Friday nights on the Faithblind Council podcast Discord server to do our fungal Friday chats, and we hold group remote rituals sometimes there as well. Um, you can also follow the project on Instagram at HyphoSigil. And I am also in the process of making a website for it, but I have never done this before and I'm also incredibly busy. So it's going sort of slow, but progress is being made and I will keep you up to date when that is all set. Um, I really want to thank Keats Ross from the Pragmagic Podcast for being such a gracious host. Um, it was really cool talking with him about my sound magic project, Gratis Animus, and a bunch of other stuff, uh, including some fun Halloween shit. Uh, really enjoyed it. That should be coming out pretty soon, and I will let you know when that happens. Um, later on, after the bibliomancy break, I'm going to tell you a tale of two brothers and two trees. But first, let's get back to that conversation with Lonnie Scott. I'm curious, is there a distinction that you see um, between like chaos heathenry and eclectic witchcraft? And maybe there's, there is or is not or some intersection there. Like this is like the golden apple rolled into the floor. <laughs> Blow thyself up, sir. No. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I don't know. No, semantic, these right. semantic things, yeah. like definitions are always problematic. I'm just kind of curious in terms of like, how people think about these practices. That's all. Mm -hmm. 
No, I agree. I just give you the sheet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes and no. So eclectic witchcraft, as it were, will do exactly what I was just talking about. They will pull together practices from different cultures and traditions that that resonate with them and are useful, effective, functional, and so on, and build their practice out of that. And it's beautiful, and I love them for it. They may not necessarily work with the same kind of spirits that I do within as a heathen. Uh, they may not even seek out relationships with uh, elves, fairy, you know, fairies, maybe elves, probably not. Uh, and there's a distinction there within heathen lore. They may not work with any of the gods or goddesses from Germanic, Nordic, or Anglo-Saxon mythos. They may not work with runes. Or if they do, they may not work with them in a way that makes any sense at all. I've seen it. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> so uh, an, an eclectic witch can build their, their builds their craft in, in, in the ways that make sense to them. Uh, uh, a magic using heathen or a chaos heathen still has very recognizable things in their work that you could point to and say, that's definitely heathen and heathen inspired. I think once you start working with those Germanic spirits, those Nordic spirits, you start to lean more towards the heathen side. And again, um, I think that's probably more up to them to identify as such. It's, it's kind of shitty in the, it's still in the heathen world. You have all these different factions and the, the most important of them and rather embarrassing of them, I think is that, that folkish issue. Hmm. Uh, but even in the more inclusive side, you'll get people who th throw around a phrase like wicked true. Like it's some kind of an insult. Um, Wait, I, as, I'm actually not familiar with that term. Could you elaborate a little bit? Sure. It's, it's, it's basically um, there, there are groups of practicing heathens who would call themselves inclusive, but say that there is no magic inherent in, in heathenry or that one calling themselves a witch is cannot by definition be a heathen. And they couldn't be more wrong, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, that sounds very confusing to me. Yeah, but, but you get into these different factions within heathenry, and it, it happens. Thank, that's one of the reasons why I love the Troth so much. The Troth is this international inclusive heathen organization where we, we just try to build resources for people to get properly or to get proper access to, to to real scholastic knowledge of the heathen past and heathen present. Uh, while we're doing that, we have functional communities online to build communication and help people find each other. And we, we really don't tolerate those sorts of divisions, at least not in a way where we would let you uh, degrade or insult another simply because their, their kind of heathenry is different from yours. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, we have an annual event where we all come together and really make an effort to get people more together as a community that way. And it generally works pretty well. So I'm okay. not sure oh, where yeah. I was going with that. but <laughs> No, that makes sense, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's, it seems like there's a lot of a lot of crossovers with, with other traditions and paths and stuff. And, like, I can definitely oh, yeah. Yeah, hear what you're saying about and this is obviously something that comes up when we talk about, you know, this kind of tradition, right? Because there have been, unfortunately, some folks that have kind of co-opted it for their own 
uh, you know, kind of perverted ideas about it or whatever. I maybe perverted is not the maybe it is the right word. I don't know, but they they've they've used it in a way that doesn't seem uh, congruent with the actual like ideas of these stories. Yeah, I mean, the the word folkish itself comes from Nazis talking about being volkish. You dig? Nobody oh. wants to do what Nazis did. So, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, most people fucking don't. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, and 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 to a point, I I know some people. I would probably call them folkish light, <laughs> um, because to them they're they're practicing their ancestors tradition and it's not that they're actively barring entry to anyone at all it's just that they're seeking something where they feel like they're connecting with their ancestry and i can understand that but i think it's also important to remember that the ancestry if i say i'm following the path of my ancestors i'm ignoring a hell of a lot of them no matter what i choose mm -hmm. to call the practice of my ancestors uh, what people really saying when they say that is that they've decided on a specific place in a specific time and they have looked at it through very rose colored glasses and smathered on some modern thought and called it their ancestral thing. Because <laughs> the last thousand years, if you are descended from European peeps at all, uh, were Christian ancestors. So you're probably not doing their thing anymore if you're calling yourself any kind of heathen. And pre-conversion, are you practicing what tribe, what village, what region, yeah, what time where period? Are you, like, yes, yeah. that's a great point. Like, where are you tracing this, you know, lineage? And, and I think there is something yeah. cool in terms of, like, you know, connecting with one's, you know, however one identifies culturally in their roots like i don't want to i definitely don't want to like disparage that idea because i think there's a lot of cool stuff there for a lot of people and everything mm -hmm. but like when it starts to become a thing where it becomes like this is the better thing than other people's thing or this is like exclusive or like i don't know as as humans our kind of secret sauce has always been the informational exchange and our ability to work together. And so mm -hmm. like anything that kind of uh, curtails that just doesn't seem like a good idea in general, because it kind of goes counter to our whole thing. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully counter that makes sense. It. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. I mean, I, I grew up, I was, I was born in 77. I grew up in the 80s as a kid watching like Carl Sagan's Cosmos and being obsessed with space and maybe I'm just unable to understand certain kinds of pride people have because it doesn't make sense to me when you contemplate earth as this one big biosphere that we all depend on and you only have to look at water at, at the big picture to understand how intimately we are connected to something so vital for life. So, I mean, yeah, people have discovered I think different names for spirits that are super cool and powerful and connected to humanity for some reason through millennia. And they have, people have given rise to different traditions of moving with power and the quintessence of magic. And that, that makes it special to me. Uh, my focus, even in heathenry is always about connecting to the quintessence of magic. 
Like that, what is it that makes magic move through the universe? And how can I be part of that and tap into that? My favorite ancestors to honor are the ancestors who are magical people. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, whether they were uh, a practicing Catholic who lit different colored candles, you know, and didn't realize they were doing some shit or, yeah. or, even, or I know yeah. people that like they connect with ancestors that they're not necessarily related to, but they like have been inspired by, you know, like some yes. people like they don't, they don't know who their uh, biological ancestors are, but they know mm-hmm. who their philosophical ones are. And like, there's a lot of power in that too. There absolutely is. And I, and when it comes to ancestor stuff, you know, people forget that the, the, the history of humanity put visually on a board looks like a, a vase. It does not look like a upside down diamond at all. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we start small and round out and come back again. And, you know, humanity's oh, history's got some <laughs> curves, folks. So oh, yeah. it's all got curves. It's all yeah. beautiful. <laughs> damn humans are sexy i was just thinking about well just things in general systems in general it's all about curves and it's all very sexy (laughs) it's all about curves and it's all very sexy yes we should put that on a billboard (laughs) absolutely okay in kansas where they have no curves (laughs) and nothing is sexy no (laughs) My apologies I'm, to the sexy people of Canada. There's a lot of sexy Kansas. people in Kansas. I'm sure listening <laughs> yeah. right now. Shout out to you. Shout out. Show sexy us your beautiful curves. <laughs> right. Um, anyway. Tag it, tag it on Twitter. Lux Pod, Weird Web Radio, Sexy Curves, Kansas. <laughs> you know, I actually don't use Twitter, but regardless. We'll go with Instagram. <laughs> absolutely. Okay. So I'm curious, like, We've heard a little bit about a few different, um, you know, God forms and stuff. Is there somebody or uh, a crew of people, perhaps, that, like, you're very close to in your practice? Yes. And it makes no sense as a healer. No, some sense. (laughs) 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 This is why down and dirty title, Chaonimist Heathen Sorcerer. So every morning I have have my daily work that I do, right? Things that are non-negotiable. I take nine deep breaths. And kind of like, I feel like I'm like cleansing out any lingering shit trying to wake up. And after I've had my breakfast and taken my shower and so on, I do a little cleansing ritual every day. And I do that morning and night. Also getting rid of some of the bad vibes that you just kind of pick up. And then in the morning, after I'm done that, after I get dressed and whatnot, um, I go to my altar and I greet my allies and then i name specific gods and goddesses that i work with and in that particular order it is isis selene anubis hecate odin frig freya and that is my peoples okay fuck yeah Uh, in air i forgot air my apologies air she's my (laughs) healing god she's my main (laughs) healing goddess (laughs) like that didn't sound right yeah, but that that's the order in which I'm looking up at their statues and stuff that I that have them all lined up and their homies. And the thing that they all have in common are liminal powers connected to the underworld and death, but also connected to life and healing. They're all connected to magic. That's my thing. Magic. Fuck yeah. 
Well, that Fuck, makes total yeah. sense. Yeah. So <laughs> those are the specific gods and goddesses named that I work with. All right. There well, you have it. Shout out to <laughs> them. <laughs> All right. Well, how would you feel about taking a bibliomancy break? Sure. Let's do the thing. set of dice that I haven't had in years like role playing dice knowing this interview was coming (laughs) 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 for people who don't know I am I was so stuck in my own world working on stuff that I was completely oblivious to Lux Lux's show Lux was already following me on Instagram and I heard an episode with Aiden Walker and quickly realized how much awesomeness I have been missing and have since immersed myself in your archives and been listening nonstop until I get caught up. And oh my God, your show is so amazing and fun. And uh, of course, the Green Mushroom Project. I, I even talk about it on my show now. I'm obsessed. It is the best magical thing going on out there right now. So if any of you are listening who have not gotten involved with the Green Mushroom Project, get in. Well, yes, thank you so much for saying, dude. I really appreciate it. And yes, I've been yeah, super stoked that you're enjoying what we're up to and everything. I love it. It's so good. So good. <laughs> okay. Fuck yeah. <laughs> okay. So I have the bibliomancy roll tables before me here. Um, and I have the requisite dice. The only thing I don't have is a question. Okay, I have tossed back and forth like a dozen different ideas thinking about this, knowing that it's coming. Because like as a tarot reader, 90% of the business I get are people who are like, just give me a general reading. So I give them the, well, what do you need to know reading? And I didn't want to do that. So let's go with what do I need to offer to grow my Patreon audience? All right. Very practical. I have the two dice here, a D8 and a D4. (laughs) Okay, so it's table one, apologies, table five, item one, the myth of Sisyphus (laughs) by Albert Camus. (laughs) 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 All right, I have it right here. (laughs) Well, we got Crowley's uh, cocaine diaries or whatever the, when I was, you were on my show. (laughs) (laughs) yes okay oh Eris what steps should Lonnie take to grow his Patreon audience venient conditions of existence but the final leap restores in him the internal and its comfort the leap does not represent an extreme danger as Kierkegaard would like it to do the danger, on the contrary, lies in the subtle intent that precedes the leap. Being able to remain on that dizzying crest, that is integrity, and the rest is subterfuge. Oh, I know what that means. I dig it. There you have it. Thank you, Eris. I think it, I think it means to just keep plugging on as I have with being true to my mission rather than trying to come up with some tricky shit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I think it in, in terms of that too, like I got a sense of it, like 
um, not only like remaining true to like the mission that you're already on, but like a sort of sense of like recommitting yourself to it as though stepping off this cliff's edge. Mm-hmm. So I yes, dig it. yes, <laughs> I dig it. Patreon.com slash Weird Web Radio. There you go. Come get it. (laughs) Yes, where you can hear lots of bonus audio content from many of Lonnie's guests, including myself. So, yes. For the second portion of the interview here, I was hoping we could talk a little bit about hypnosis. You are a registered hypnosis instructor. People can hit you up for that and everything, um, as we talked about earlier. So in an episode 45 of your like of your show, you discuss the hypnosis experiment, which is featured um, in the season two of the show Hellier. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just like a little bit of context for people, um, and they should definitely like watch that and listen to your episode about it because you go into it in depth maybe just like set the table for people that aren't familiar real quick so just for people that like haven't like that don't know what this is they can get right yeah yeah so i i've been a professional hypnotist now for about 13 years i think um i've helped many hundreds of people make really incredible changes to their life including myself uh from stopping smoking um easing their life with anxiety and depression, even helping some people get off their meds if they so choose. I've helped people with chronic pain, weight loss, sports performance. Um, One of my favorites, losing chronic fears, disabling fears even in a roughly 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's been a a really incredible journey as a hypnotist, and it's a really powerful and cool thing. Uh, the The experiments in Hellier in episode seven, Yes, episode seven of season two, they showed a experiment that was actually filmed years before for another documentary series that got canned, I guess, called Planet Weird, where I conducted an experiment to put someone under hypnosis to experience an alien abduction and see how that turned out with some goals in mind. And the second experiment I did in the Hellier series Uh, was episode nine of season two was something different. I was guiding someone into a trance state to see if they could make contact with spirit or a spirit and gather useful information that could be proven to be true later. So that that's, those are the experiments that I did in kind of the the direction we were going with that. Okay. Hell yeah. Well, I guess the like question that I'm curious about is about the first one, you know, um, about the idea of, you know, conducting this experiment to say like, yes, we're going to take somebody who is pretty sure that they've never had an alien experience. And, you know, through the use of hypnotic suggestion in this case, like intentionally in in other cases, it would be framed as regression possibly. Right. Uh, But in this case, it was intentionally like suggestion. So they were filming this series called planet weird. Greg and Dana Newkirk were, and they had raised a bunch of money on, I think it was Indiegogo to do it. And um, they were going and meeting up with people who thought they were vampires. They were exploring like haunting stuff. And they were trying to encounter just weird 
people and things and, <laughs> no. and, and, and film it as like this series. <laughs> and who doesn't want to do that shit? I mean, lots of people don't want to do fun. it, but I like it, it, it instantly made me like them. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I had written a couple articles for uh, Greg and Dana's website at that time t- titled who forded. And we'd been in light contact with each other back and forth. And when I was looking at the promo stuff for the, the project they were doing, I sent them an email like, what are you going to do about the aliens? Because <laughs> they said they were going to do something with an alien abduction. And I don't remember what their original plan was, but we cooked up a plan. I'm like, hey, why don't you come here <laughs> and I will hypnotize one of you to believe you had been abducted by aliens. I thought it sounded fun and it sounded creepy and and it could have gone anyway. I had no idea how it would actually go. The idea here was many fold. One, I wanted for, for one, just to see what would happen. Um, and two, one of the biggest boogeyman, the scariest things growing up as a kid in the eighties and early nineties was the satanic panic and how people were put in prison. Lives were destroyed. I mean, absolutely destroyed. Um, and if people aren't sure what the satanic panic is, it's, it's a complicated history and I often get names wrong, so I don't do that anymore. Um, but the satanic temple as an organization, I know has a large part of their website dedicated to educating people about the satanic panic. That's a great place to go get information. The, the gist of it was, is, uh, cops and psychologists were being very irresponsible with the way they interviewed children, uh, under false pretenses and accusations of child abuse done through satanic rituals. And they, they, they absolutely destroyed lives by planting false memories in people's heads, specifically these kids, and take this idea forward as I get older and I get interested in hypnosis and I start to understand the power of suggestion. I, um, I start seeing things about alien abductions and the stories that are behind them. And it was kind of fascinated me when I was a teenager, because this is the same time we get interested in hypnosis. You can't help but bump up against these kinds of stories. Same with like past life regression and that kind of stuff. Well, as time went by, and especially once I became a professional hypnotist and I had a really deep understanding of what it, hypnosis is and what it means and so on, I kind of looked at cases of, hip, of hypnotic regression in general as, as not very helpful. And cases of like uh, alien abduction regression to be uh, an echo of that satanic panic kind of thing. Because I can't tell you the names of all these people. Because one, I don't remember. And two, it wasn't that important to me. We don't need to name names. Yeah, the the concepts will stand on their own. Yeah, it's okay. But I'm telling you uh, that I can listen to them and probably pinpoint where they're making the suggestion that put the memory or twisted the memory in -hmm. someone's mind. Where they probably developed it in something it wasn't. it's it's so easy. It's so unbelievably easy to mess with memory. Memory is not a perfect recorder anyway. And hypnosis is just a tool that makes you more relaxed and even more open to suggestion. So yeah, I think there are some real irresponsible psychologists out there that should be probably beaten 
for a minute or two <laughs> for the damage they've done to people's brains. <laughs> yeah, no, and so thank you so much for bringing this up because I was hoping to ask, like, you and I have talked about this um, off air about like how this is something that happens sometimes just like in normal everyday life. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you could give the listeners and I some kind of pointers in terms of like what types of language we could listen, you know, like be on the lookout for or like, you know, just sort of like a little bit of like an insider idea of like how these things take place. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's not always the ne- even necessarily the language that you have to look out for as it is your response to things, too. So we're, we're all walking around with half-formed thoughts and limited beliefs that carry our own voice between our ears, but are, have nothing to do with, the, with our own way of thinking about ourselves. They were put there by authority figures uh, somewhere along the way that told you you were stupid or you're weak or you're a coward or... You know, you're a, you're a chicken shit. You're a pussy. You're, you know, like you're yeah. you're any of these negative connotations, whatever. Yes, right. Yeah, just things that have belittled you or hurt you or made you cry or made you feel less than somehow along the way, and that's where control starts, and that's where suggestion can be dangerous to someone if it's misconstrued that way. So, if someone in authority is kind of a brass or something like, and, and they use more powerful language or their tones are more aggressive or something that, that it might trigger those kinds of thoughts in your head. And next thing you know, you'll find yourself more compliant with the kind of things that you, they, they want you to do because you don't want to upset an authority figure. And that comes from a lot of people, right? So there's, that's in part, but suggestion can be way more subtle than that. Way, way, way more subtle. Sometimes it could be, um, you know, I don't want to mess with people listening too bad. <laughs> let me demonstrate. <laughs> yeah, let me demonstrate. Um, now, Join it, my it, Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> so, Very um, effective, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, th- there have been really, really cool su- uh, studies on memory done, like newlyweds a year after the fact are terrible at recalling details of their wedding. Uh, that kind of thing happens. So let's say uh, you're asked something, you know, this, this seems silly by comparison, but you know, if somebody says, do you, did you see that car accident? And, and you'd be like, yeah, I was a witness of the car accident. Okay. Can you tell me how fast exactly was that speeding car going? And you'd be like, Oh man, that car was going fast. And you start thinking about it going fast. You're like, ah, well, probably more than the speed limit. And then the person interviewing you says, yeah, so it's going faster than the speed limit. And then you saw it slam into that tree first before it hit the other car. Uh, Maybe I did. Uh, Yeah, I think it happened that way and you know okay Okay, yes you've already suggested that this is speeding car and it hit this tree. Yes. Okay. I think I heard it. it. It's it's just simple. And, and, and it doesn't have to be intentional. It's just lazy ways of people asking questions. So if I say, you know, remember that, remember that time you were really, really scared. <laughs> That's all I have to say. And if somebody is really paying attention, uh, you can't help but think of a time that you felt really, really scared. And 
if I say, remember that time you felt really, really scared? Well, tell me, how did that person hurt you? You know, if it's a completely unrelated event, just do something that generates fear and then ask another question about another time and place. And they, it starts to marry the ideas in your brain. You're on fire together, wire together. Yeah. So that's that kind of crazy shit that goes down. <laughs> well, yeah, no, that makes sense. Like this sort of like, in some ways, like this idea of like these sort of um, desperate narratives that have been like cut up and chopped up or whatever, like we do knit them back together. So mm-hmm. yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and it, it's super simple to play with people. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know if you noticed it right now, but on your left foot, there's suddenly this sensation like something crawling and it's very tiny legs just moving across your skin and you can feel it starting to tinkle and you get this uncontrollable, you can't help it, but you just want to reach. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it would have worked on me had I not been bolstered again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> had I not been like, you know, yeah. somebody out there is itching their left foot. Yes. <laughs> and <You know>? enjoy. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, and if, if you're somewhere where you're not driving, you can be distracted, right? If you just right now close your eyes and stick your right hand out in front of you and just imagine as you listen to my voice that there has been a string tied to one of your fingers. And on that string, it's one of the largest air balloons you've ever seen. And you start to feel lighter and lighter and your hand begins to rise And as it begins to rise and you begin to feel even more lighter, the balloons begin to multiply and you feel even lighter and lighter as your hand begins to rise even further towards the ceiling. Now open your eyes and look. Is your hand higher than it was a minute ago? You'd be a really fun hypnosis subject. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's very fun. My hand did not rise, but I was waiting to make the joke at the end of it, that you should go on your Patreon. <laughs> yeah. And that's just, that's just one of many kinds of like what they're, they're called suggestibility exercises or suggestibility tests and hypnosis. And it's sure. just, it's one of the ways that we learn to work with the, with people. I learned all kinds of nasty ways to do this. Like I was taught to like make it so people couldn't open their eyes. And I think that's just sinister. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah, my favorite way to work with a hypnosis client is this simple. I always tell people, I'm like, look, if you close your eyes and think about the door that you walk in and out of every day to go in and out of your home, can you see that door in your mind? And if they say yes, then they're like, can you imagine what it's like to enter the room beyond and be in that room? And if they say yes, it'd be like, let's imagine someone's got into your house not a criminal, someone you love and they're in the kitchen. They're making your favorite thing to eat and the smell is permeating the house. And if you really just focus in on that smell, can you smell it? You know, like ask questions like that. And it tells me a whole lot about someone and how their mind works and how I need to work with them. Okay. Oh yeah. Even if the answer to all of that is no, you know? So yeah, there's lots of roads into hypnosis. Hell yeah. And and I know that you've mentioned like a lot of like therapeutic applications, like maybe we could just go into a little bit of that real quick. Yep. I help people with general kind of everyday behavioral problems in a way. 
um, and not necessarily always behavioral, sometimes just think the way they think, but I don't do therapy as it were. So I help people stop smoking. I help people uh, with weight loss, uh, particular people who are like severely obese, uh, who really need some kind of intervention and help, who've lost all sense of like control and they're desperate. Uh, those folks get a lot of great results out of it. People who have chronic fear, some kind of debilitating fear. Like I, I helped someone who couldn't leave their house because they were convinced there were snakes in all of their shoes. That's pretty debilitating. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a very yeah. intense experience. I, I, I helped a hunter uh, recently who's scared of snakes. And he drove straight out to his favorite hunting spot because he was going to prove this shit worked or didn't. and i really appreciated his like go get him attitude (laughs) yeah that's Uh, cool yeah so i've i've helped athletes with sports performance um softball baseball players i've helped mma fighters with issues weird too like softball and baseball players were always uh pitchers who lost their their touch and they just needed to get it back. And the MMA fighters I've all helped, uh, I've had issues with choking uh, a gag reflex with their mouthpiece. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Universally. That's, so that's what they've been. Yeah. Um, I've helped a couple people with like bedwetting, nail biting, old classical clinical uses of hypnosis there. And I, yeah, that's not my thing. One was a kid and that mattered. Yeah, I just help people with general stuff. Anxiety is my favorite thing to help with people with because I myself have had anxiety and depression issues. And when I learned how to uh, manage them through the power of my own mind, that was uh, revolutionized my life. Absolutely revolutionized my life. And I love giving that kind of power back to other people. So those are the therapeutic kind of ways that I use hypnosis. Yeah, fuck yeah. I I really like what you're saying about like using this kind of tool to like help yourself. Mm-hmm. Especially with things like anxiety, like it's, you know, in a lot of ways it's kind of uh for me at least with my anxiety, it's like being in a sort of hall of mirrors, but there's this idea that like wherever the poison is, the cure for that poison will also be around. And and I think that this is like a great example of that, right? If that makes any sense. Are you having a deeper thought? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, like you got quiet. I thought I'm not interrupting this thought. Oh no, no, that that was that was it. Like I mean, like you know, like when we're lost in these like sort of whatever mental landscapes or whatever, like the 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 path out of that could also be in, encompassed within that like same mental landscape that's all that's all you can <laughs> yeah Hey, what's up? It's future Luxa again. I wanted to pop in and explain what I meant about the whole antidote being found near the poison thing. It's something that comes up in a book I've recently read, and I must admit have become somewhat obsessed with. It's called The Master and His Emissary by Ian McGilchrist. Anyway, I swear I can hear people I know groaning as I bring this up because I talk about it all the time. Whatever. Uh, The author talks about this idea of the antidote and the poison in terms of 
this concept that philosophy is sort of like an illness in which people are sometimes afflicted. And the cure for this philosophical affliction is to do philosophy. Uh, the idea of the antidote being located near the cure is sort of a useful idea when thinking about, I don't know, emotional alchemy or finding power in, uh, you know, your hardship or, you know, letting it make you stronger um, if you can. Uh, there's some fun ecology stuff here with this concept that I found. Um, so I got this from rare.com, many thanks to them. And there's also a story from Mayan mythology about this, which is really cool. Okay, so the Chichem tree, or Metatopium brownii, which exudes a poisonous black sap, contains high amounts of urethrol, an oil-like substance that is the same active chemical agent in poison ivy. The antidote for this poison comes by way of another tree which happens to grow right next to the Chichem, often so close that the root systems will intertwine with one another. The blistering rash-like reaction um, that the skin has as a result of coming in contact with the chikam sap can be immediately treated by rubbing the area with the leaves or bark of the Bursera simaruba tree, uh, which is commonly known as chaka or gumbo limbo tree. So this plant offers chemical compounds that quickly neutralize the poison that comes from the chikam and allowing the human body's uncomfortable reaction to stop. And the compounds in the chaka tree leaves and bark also act as an anti-inflammatory and can assist in the reduction of itching and swelling. While it is not completely uncommon to find these, you know, natural remedies close to each other, the close proximity of these trees is pretty unique. Uh, many who study this, you know, ecological landscape think that this phenomenon might be due to birds who feed on flowers and fruits of both trees. And this feeding behavior can cause the seeds of one tree to fall directly below or besides its counterpart. Okay, and so here is the story about these trees from Mayan mythology. So there were two brothers, and they were warrior princes of great power, but were of opposite nature. The younger brother, Kanich, was kind and loved by all. The older brother, Tizik, was filled with hate. When they both fell in love with the same woman, Niktiha, they decided to battle to death uh, to try to win her hand. The fight tore the earth in half, and the heavens went into hiding. When all was said and done, the brothers, Kinshi and Tizak, lay dead in one another's arms. They begged the gods for forgiveness and to return to the living and see Nixiha again. The gods granted this request, and Tizak was reborn as the poisonous Chichen, and Kinich was reborn as the Chaka whose nectar neutralizes the Chiken's poison. They both watch over Niktiha, who had died of grief, but was restored to life as a beautiful flower. So fuck yeah, very cool. We are actually talking about the history of Mesoamerica right now on ad hoc history, and I've really been enjoying learning more about it. Okay, so yeah, this idea of the antidote being found near the cure you know, where does that show up in your life? Um, I'm guessing that we can probably all think of a lot of different examples, maybe just right off the bat. But for now, let's go ahead and get back to that interview with Lonnie. He's about to give us some pretty good advice about anxiety and, you know, thinking about ways to overcome it. Thank you so much for listening again, and I hope you're enjoying the conversation. I'll give everyone a clue. 
<laughs> free a free tidbit here concerning anxiety because I think it's it's so important. Step one is to recognize that you're experiencing something. Not to push it down, not to try to hide from it, not to wallow in it, not to like succumb to it or anything. Just simply to recognize that it is happening. Not it, it's an, an important distinction, but it matters. And it's one that most people don't do. They, they, I, I know for me, when I would start to experience anxiety, it's worst. I uh, would begin to act out in very strange ways <laughs> and uh, it, fairly self-destructive ways. And it wasn't, it, it was because I, I didn't recognize what was happening to me. I didn't know. I didn't understand. So there's that part be able to recognize what's actually happening to you. The rest of it is available at althypnosis.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, for me, like, I think, yeah, the, the way that anxiety has manifested for me is like a sort of uh, spiral of overthinking, you know, like a, a sort of like excessive, like self-awareness that becomes debilitating because, one is constantly questioning every small detail of one's own actions or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, anxiety is really good. A spiral is a good word for it because it's really good at, um, once it's triggered, triggering more anxiety based on the, the previous trigger and on and on down it goes with more and more Even triggers. The word it, anxiety makes me yeah. a little anxious. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, no, I get it. And I'm feeling a little anxious. <laughs> The power of suggestion. <laughs> we can banish it with laughter, but yes. Yeah. Yes. Banish with laughter. Why not? We're chaos magicians. But here's a really cool trick from NLP and it's super simple, right? So if you think about your anxiety, so you're talking about just saying anxiety makes you start to feel some anxiety. And that's because, you know, like if I say, don't think of a pink elephant, you have to think of a pink elephant. Don't so think don't about think the of little a pink elephant. So, <laughs> so <laughs> if, if, you're, if you hear the word anxiety, you've had anxiety. So your mind's like, we know what that is. And your body starts to remember too. So if you notice something like that starting to happen, you recognize these things are starting to happen. Imagine it as a color and a shape. Like ask yourself, what color is my anxiety if it had a color? And what shape would it be if it had a shape? And when you get those cues from your subconscious mind, well, what color is more pleasing to you? makes you happy, makes you feel good, eases you, calms you down. What shape would do the same thing? And you just kind of transform it in your mind. And as magic using people, this should be like 101 material in a lot of ways, just transforming our inner state through will direction and symbols. Simplifying it in a way of like a color and a shape is, I think, uh, very helpful in, in terms of like actually attacking the issue. Yeah. So your your subconscious mind that doesn't speak very good English. That's <laughs> it, not its it, job. That's not yeah, what it does. Yes. <laughs> it speaks it speaks fantastic symbol and color. <laughs> so yeah. Speak to it in a language it understands and be amazed at the results. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, that totally makes sense. Oh yeah. Okay. So this is kind of off the cuff and <laughs> I might cut this out. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about the movie Inception because you did talk about incepting people and I just can't help myself. 
It's a classic. Mm. What is the movie Inception? I know I've seen it. Hold on. It's got Leonardo DiCaprio and they invade people's dreams for spycraft yeah. reasons, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. About lucid dreaming. Okay. Sort of. <laughs> it's a movie. Um, here's my favorite thing from the movie Inception, because it's something that I do. Uh, reality checks. So if you want to teach yourself how to lucid dream, to become aware in your dreams, and lucid isn't always the greatest thing. Sometimes just simply being aware that you're dreaming by not necessarily having control of your dreams is like the best state to be in, because then you can have really wild encounters that you didn't design, and you might stay in your dream longer. Uh, But lucid dreams, super cool, super awesome, super hard. (laughs) So um, I've got this really cool coin, and I got it from a guy named Ryan Hurd. It's H-U-R-D, and I can't think of the name of his website right now, but he sells these uh, talismans. I think he calls them lucid talismans. They look fucking awesome, and it is on my altar at all times except for when I'm using it. And one side of it's like a sun, one side is like the moon, and one side is designed so you can spin it. And I will, that's one of my favorite reality checks, to spin it. And if, and if it's in a dream, it won't stop spinning, and that is a clue that I'm dreaming. Okay, classic. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I like it. And it's got these really cool groovy symbols. And I like to look at my hands a lot. I'll, I'll count, you know, one through ten and then ten down, back down to one, moving my fingers as I do so as a reality check. Because in a dream, I might end up with 11, you know? Like. Yeah, no, looking at my hand, Like, okay, so I, I sort of, like, when I was younger, I, I was influenced a lot by, like, Carlos Castaneda's work. And one of the things that he talks a lot about in terms of his, you know, how he outlines the dreaming practice is like looking down at your hands. And like, I sort of taken that as like a symbol of like recognizing your agency in a dream, right? Or like, you know, your mm-hmm. hands are sort of this like symbol of your ability to forge things or change things or whatever. But yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Yeah. It could be a lot of people. If you read a lot of the literature out there on lucid dream studies, like people don't see their hands in their dreams as a general thing. Really? Yeah. I always thought that was interesting. So training myself to see my hands was one of my strategies to know that I was dreaming. That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I started this stuff when I was pretty young, so it's possible that it same. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. That, that <laughs> yeah. makes, that makes a lot of sense. So very interesting. You know, you know, it's, it's funny. You mentioned it started very young because way back in the early nineties, when there was a little Walden books in our local mall where we got things called books, <laughs> <laughs> and in the new age section, there was a fuck ton of Sylvia Brown books, <laughs> like two satanic Bibles, one Avon published Necronomicon, <laughs> uh, uh, a Crowley book, but it was on yoga, nothing else. <laughs> and a lot of astrology stuff. Like that life after life book. There's always a lot of those, but there was always like a one or two books on lucid dreaming always, even back then. So yeah, it's one of those things that entered, entered the market openly and well, it's just, it's weird because lucid dreaming is an actual like scientific study uh, and it finds its way into the new age section of bookstores all the time. Yeah, it's very fascinating. Like, yeah. yeah, and you're right. They have done like scientific studies, like to yeah say like yes, this person <laughs> is definitely aware that they're dreaming and they're responding right. to like outside stimuli. And y- yes, it's definitely been. Uh, 
experimentally demonstrated. Yes. <laughs> Lots of cool stuff out there. They've got like these masks that have flashing like lights and stuff. And I've never tried one of those. Uh, I haven't either. Like, I mean, personally, like, I don't know. I get really good results if I go to sleep with a very clear intention of having this happen. Yeah. I, I have such a mixed bag of results with lucid dreams over the years. I can, I can go years without having one. Um, it's just not something that's one of my strong suits. Uh, and it's not for a lack of trying. That's for sure. <laughs> sure yeah. I've tried self-hypnosis to, to make them work better. I've, I've hypnotized people to try to like increase lucid dreams for them and gotten mixed results with them too. And I think people are just, some people are just better at it than others. Like any, like anything. I think there's also like, to me at least like a high degree of like, you know, there's like circumstances that will influence it. Like some of the craziest, most lucid dreams I've had have been in like strange locations and stuff. Like there's all kinds of things at play there, I think. So, yeah. 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 I, my mind seems to me more primed for those. I think I might be dreaming dreams and having strange encounters that are absolutely not in my control at all. So there's that. I I get night terrors since I was a kid. I get them. So maybe that's part of it. Very interesting. There's like these kind of like shared um, hypnagogic, I don't know, mm-hmm. hallucinations or experiences or whatever that, that people share, like the, the hag or the dog or like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I, mine, I will wake up and this doesn't happen nearly as frequently as it used to, but I'll wake up completely unable to move. I don't see a hag or anything like that. I just know something predatory is staring me down hard and close. Hmm. And in my brain, I don't get afraid. I start thinking, I don't think so, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. Have you met the spirits (laughs) and gods I roll with? (laughs) Bitch, please. And then I start wiggling my toes and, there's a little trick for you folks out there who have sleep paralysis. Wiggle your toes and you'll start to move and it, the, the spell wears off. Uh, I absolutely think there's an actual spirit encounter involved with those. You know, like I talked about the, the different gods and goddesses and whatnot, and how different cultures have discovered different names. And there's, there seem to be certain spirits that have been with humanity for a long time. That's one of those spirits, I think, and probably like a collective of spirits that's been with humanity for a long time, and they're not our friend. <laughs> so, yeah I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I have a, a lot of different ideas about this. Like, yes, in terms of too. like, how, yeah, how we contextualize spirits, even uh, yeah, all of it. But I've got definitely. some cool books on it too. I yeah, <laughs> I wish I could tell you the name of the my favorite one. I suck at this game. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. <laughs> But yeah, no, I think that it is interesting that there's all these like, you know, these are shared experiences that people have documented um, throughout history and across so many different cultures. And so, like, there is definitely something interesting there. Yeah. Oh, here it is right here. It is sleep paralysis, nightmares, nocebos and the mind body connection studies in medical anthropology. OK, Buy this book. Oh that sounds God, very interesting. Good. Hell yeah. So fucking good. Yeah, get that book. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, very cool. I mean, this has definitely yep. been a topic of interest to scientists and mystics for a yes. very fucking long time, right? Like, Some yeah. of the really cool shit always is. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I wish I could lucid dream better. I just can't. 
it's funny though. Like, like I said, some of us are good at some, some things and some of us aren't just aren't. I had Mitch Horowitz on my show. Uh, Mitch is one of my favorite people out in the world doing his thing. And like, he told me he's dog shit at sigils on the show. Like he can't get him to work. And I'm like, really? <laughs> I'm like, I get him to work. What's that? What's wrong with you, bro? <laughs> no. <laughs> and we try to figure out why, you know, I think that just, so. it, there's just so many things about how people contextualize different language. Like when I was on your show, you were like, have you ever been haunted? And I was like, well, yeah, no. But then when you sort of explained like what that term meant to you, I was like, oh yeah, that's just like all the time every day. So it didn't mm. seem like a thing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I just contend and I challenge people when you hear the word haunted, what does that actually bring to mind? Well, yeah, I was thinking, as I said, yeah, I was like, well, like, no, I don't get like Skinwalker Ranch. Like, no, like crazy shit. Nobody does. But yes, that, and I guess it's just so interesting. Like language is ever a trap that we fall into, Mm -hmm. but it's the best thing that we have. So we have to make do. That's right. I mean, sure. Beats grunting and pointing. Sometimes. What what kind of show would this be? (laughs) I Sometimes. might actually watch that show. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would have to have a visual component. Because well, there, you did yeah. mention pointing. But yes. Like, why are they grunting <laughs> after all? I must see. <laughs> <laughs> Three, four, hey, what's up? Luxa from the future again here. Thank you so much again for listening. Just a quick reminder, after the interview is over, I'm going to share about an experience I had last month. I was conducting a dream experiment involving divination on the topic of zero and infinity. And this is something that I think comes up for a lot of people. Um, It's obviously uh, an intriguing topic, uh, so it was kind of a fun experiment to run. Shout out to everybody that is interested in this topic and uh, the people that had uh, conversations with me about it. Uh, Like rabbits, what's up, dude? So yes, I hope everybody enjoys it. And uh, yes, people who are members of the Luxacult Patreon have already seen the music video that I made for this uh, music track that went along with this experiment. Um, That is available on the Luxacult YouTube in case you want to go and check that out. There will also be links to that in the show notes. Thank you so much to everybody who's been supporting me on Patreon. It really means a lot, and I really appreciate it. So thank you. Now back to that conversation with Lonnie. You know, um, speaking of lucid dreaming, the the alien abduction experiment, I chose to work with Jason because he told me he was experimenting with lucid dreaming. And he was pretty good at the suggestibility stuff, too, so... That's why he got to be the one to take the UFO ride. Well, it is very interesting. I'm kind of, to be quite honest, like I'm a little bit tempted to ask you to do the same thing <laughs> to me <laughs> because like, <laughs> I'm such a skeptic and I'm so, like, but mm-hmm. I also am a student of psychology enough to understand that like, yeah, this would, this is, I have a lot of ideas about like our, conception of like these abduction scenarios too like i do think that um at least to me like in terms of how i read them like i think there is a lot of insecurities there about how we treat other species 
mm. and stuff. Um, and and I, I think that that kind of plays out there about like this kind of like existential dread of like, you know, we're doing these things to other animals and like, what if it happened to us or whatever? Or like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, there, there are without a doubt uh, people out there who have missed time. I'm one of them. Strangest fucking thing that ever happened to me in my life is uh, I was 16, maybe 17. And I was with a friend of mine in Champaign, Illinois, where he was working. And we closed the place down and drove back to where I live in Mattoon. And it's about a 45, 50 minute drive. And we got back to Mattoon about two hours before we left Champaign. Strange. Really strange. (laughs) Yeah. But I don't think we were abducted by aliens or anything like that. I just think time's weird sometimes. Yeah, no. And I I actually really, I don't have any, like, I have no idea. (laughs) I'm completely agnostic on the subject. Like, I I don't know what to think about that particular day. Other yeah. than I always remind myself, memory is not a perfect VCR. And sure. I smoked a lot of weed back then. So who knows? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I actually, and, you know, like, um, my mom is a, a sort of experiencer in that way. Like, she's, like, there was a time that we were going to have all of us in my family, like, a Thanksgiving dinner together. And she arrived very late and didn't understand that she was late and had sort of like a missing time experience there. And, and so like, yeah, I, I, there's been people close to me that have like, you know, had these experiences. I've never had one personally myself, but like, I don't discount their, you know, relevance because yeah. you know, like I said, people close to me have had these things and I don't understand, like it doesn't make sense to me where they were yeah. like, why that doesn't make any sense. So yeah. Yeah. And it's not even relevant, like to leave someplace that takes 45 minutes to go somewhere else and arrive, you know, like you had left two hours before. So where did that other hour, hour and 15 minutes go? Yeah. No, exactly. I got no clue. <laughs> I got no fucking clue. And nothing relevant about it has come up in self-hypnosis or anything else. It's just weird. That's all. Yes. It's just weird. <laughs> and yeah. I think sometimes that is all it is. Sometimes shit's just weird and it doesn't mean anything. Uh, there's a lot going on in the world and the universe that we haven't got a clue about. None. So who who knows? <laughs> Absolutely. We're explorers of a strange territory that we have maps for, but we can't ever actually like see the territory. So yeah, yes, well, it's all very think about this. <laughs> think about this. So everyone talks about like spirits of place, right? There's always land spirits. There's spirits that are particularly attached to certain places and locations that's consistent across time and religions well what is earth doing (laughs) here's where i get weird earth is well rotating for one but it's 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 going around the sun our star in a galaxy that is moving through space the galaxy is not frozen in some place it is also in motion through space Oh, yeah. It makes like a really like crazy spiral thing. Like all of it. Yeah. Yes. Who the fuck? If you're going to time travel for one, it's more of a 
issue of location as much as it is time. Because if you were to just zip back 100 years in the spot you're at right now, there's a good chance you pop up in space and there's no planet and you're dead. So <laughs> there's that problem to solve. That is very interesting. Yes. Yeah. But beyond that, like, who knows what kind of shit we move through just galactically that may or may not influence weird shit on the planet, right? Like we have no idea what kind of space weather we move through and space energies and whatnot that might sure. have strange effects on the planet. So I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes shit's just weird. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I think that like people that are really into science and stuff, like will all, the reason that they like it so much is because there are so many unanswered questions. Mm-hmm. it's not supposed to be dogmatic it's not you know like it's about the seeking for something not necessarily yeah. the concretization of things like i that's, agree yes that that was what the church was about and that's why people didn't like it after all because it was too constraining so we don't need to like recreate that Anyway, that's yep. my soapbox. I'll get hey, off of it now. I get it. <laughs> I, I seek my answers through magic and mysticism, and I demand as much provable stuff out of it as the scientist does. We're just wired to go down different roads, and I appreciate their work, and some of them kind of appreciate ours, I think. So well, there you I, have it. <laughs> I, I think that the dichotomy between these things is kind of, in some ways, problematic because like, the the birth of science really did come from this idea of like occultism and like really looking for these hidden truths and everything. And like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't think it behooves it to divorce itself from its roots in that way. I agree. There have been a lot of incredible experiments into things like telepathy and psychokinesis and, you know, more of the, the psychic kind of uh, gifts and arts and these have been done in collegiate labs and all kinds of stuff. Parapsychology is a fascinating topic. Yes. Like yes. anybody who hasn't read the book, real magic by Dr. Dean Radin would it's treat so themselves good. to a fun experience by doing that. Very cool. Yep. It's a very good book. Hell yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, is there anything that I did not bring up that you would like to talk about? I don't think so. I, this was fun. I just wanted to have a really interesting conversation with someone, someone that I really uh, respect and uh, appreciate. And I think it's his mission accomplished. All right. Well, fuck yeah, me too. And I will also yeah. say mission accomplished. Thank you so much for joining me. I will also ask, um, as I always do, are there any questions that you would like to ask me before I let you go? Oh, I asked you all the questions I wanted to ask. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. You can hear all kinds of questions that Lonnie asked me on Lonnie's show, Weird Web Radio, which you should definitely check out. And there will be a link to that in the show notes. Yeah. And you will be back on the show again, whether you like it or not. Um, Don't threaten me with a good time. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) that's how I roll. (laughs) For sure. I've got this idea. I I've got this idea of a, a slightly different format and you're on my list of people for this idea. I'll, I'll that's all I'll say. I'm going to go all vague. Okay. Well, mysterious. It sounds intriguing. <laughs> I'm definitely yeah. curious to learn more. In the year 2025. <laughs> <laughs> it's just around the corner, folks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep. 
All right. Well, fuck yeah, dude. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. It's been a very enjoyable conversation. And yeah, I super appreciate you taking the time. I super appreciate everything. This has been awesome and a great time. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I, I'm stoked to be a guest here. So thank yes. you. Yes. Well, I'm super stoked to have you. And yes, um, I'm sure this is not the last we'll be hearing from you. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> if so, call EMS for help. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah, thank you so much, Polani, for taking the time. Appreciate it. Don't forget to check out the show notes for links to all of his stuff, as well as info about the Green Mushroom Project and much, much more. If you're a fan of the show, please consider giving it a positive review and some stars. Word of mouth is huge, so tell your weird friends about my podcast. Um, if you'd like to help me curtail the costs of producing this show, as well as taking a bibliomancy break with me, sign up to the Luxacult Patreon. There are no levels, so give as you will. As always, don't miss the other shows on the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. We have Administrism, Ad Hoc History, Faithline Council, Unearthing Paranormalcy, and Smuts Up. We just started doing an interview series on Smuts Up called Deep Penetration, in which we interview thinkers and kinksters about their thoughts and experiences. Shout out to our first couple of guests so far, Malcolm and Flood, who is also the host of XV Planis uh, podcast. You can hear a conversation I had with him and his co-host Ren at the time about my practice and my bullshit on that show as well. All kinds of fun stuff happening here on the network. Fuck yeah. Really lucky to be collaborating with such chill folks. Speaking of which, Yara from Faithline Council is doing a cool side project investigating and studying the intersections of magic and surrealist art. I've really enjoyed participating in the conversations about surrealism, especially the poetry, which is fucking rad. In the next episode, I'm going to share an abstract that Yara wrote about using poems as sigils. It's a tech I've been playing around with and really loving it so far. Okay, so as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to talk a little bit about something that I was fucking around with last month. I sometimes get these, um, I don't know, obsessions? I actually like to think about them as recursive interests in things. Um, it's typically about, like, weird number stuff and esoteric bullshit. I don't know. I'm guessing this might sound familiar to people listening. I don't know. Um, but one of these is the relationship between zero and infinity. Um, I'll go ahead and read some notes I wrote about the sound magic track that I ended up calling Ribbons. Uh, the infinity sign is a type of curve known as a lemoniscate, which comes from the Greek lemoniscos, meaning ribbons. So that's what that's about. And you can check out the music video I made for it. There will be a link in the show notes to that, as well as to a full write-up I did about it, which includes the cut-up and sources and music notes and everything. Okay, so here is what I wrote about that experience. After an old, irksome, esoteric obsession with the relationship between zero and infinity resurfaced, I decided to take the classic occult route of seeking guidance about it in dreams. 
Inspired by people like Shuri Vasna Ramanujan and others who have found insight and answers this way, I decided to try an experiment by incorporating it into my deity work. I prayed for some insight on the topic before going to sleep and was gifted with a dream in which a beautiful woman showed me a diagram made of light. Um, this holographic image contained among a bunch of other shit, which was written in a script that I couldn't read, um, an image that looked sort of like a Vesica Pisces or a Venn diagram. The next night, it was a full moon, um, as it is today when I'm recording this and I'm hoping to publish as well, and I didn't end up sleeping that night, I felt this like strong compulsion to make this track. After spending the small hours of the night in a sort of like creative fugue state, I saw the first rays of the day as I completed the like musical portion of this piece. Um, and so after that, I continued experimenting with dreams and I got some more interesting stuff there. You'll hear me talk about it in the track a little bit. Um, I was also able to put some pieces together during meditations and like through having conversations and conducting some research into the topic. I recorded some notes about the experiment after waking up from significant dreams. These are audio recordings and it's probably going to be apparent that I had just woken up because I sound super sleepy. <laughs> and these are in the track as well. Um, and there's also a recording of me reading um, a cut-up that I obtained by combining the definitions of zero and infinity from Wikipedia using like a word order randomizer. And you can find one of these at languageisavirus.com. And so scrying into this cut-up, uh, this sort of like pool of meaning, uh, this has been probably the most interesting part of the experiment, I think. So anyway, regardless, I hope that you enjoy this strange trip around the Lemonist Gate or Mobius Strip. Before I play ribbons for you, I'm going to leave you real quick with a quote that I stole from Lonnie Scott's alt-hypnosis blog. Let's change the world together, starting with our own minds first. Thank you so much for listening to the Lexicult Podcast. Don't forget to resist, to stay strong, and to stay fucking curious. <laughs> Greetings to all my fellow travelers on this particular Mobius strip.
however many who are in the public Luxicult is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. To hear more great independent productions like the one you just listened to, visit our catalog at tgmpodcastnetwork.com. Hey folks, Dreadnought here from the Faith Blind Council Podcast. Myself, 
Frater Yara Marud and Seder Cologne have been working for over a year to produce a show that talks about practicing chaos magic with three practicing chaos magicians. We cover all sorts of topics from deep paradigm dives on subjects such as Gnosticism and Southern American conjure to techniques such as divination and meditation and even sex magic. <laughs> but don't take my word for it. Check out this clip from one of our latest episodes. But like you mentioned, eighth house being like the house of shame, like where I have totally like, been to the house you know, of shame before. Where your yeah, Waffle House. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I have in my my eighth house is um my my moon sign. So what's, what's yes. interesting about there being kind of shame associated with your moon sign and your emotions is that your moon is in Virgo, right? Virgos, yes. Virgos are the like the sign that are the most critical of themselves. Like you, it's very hard to hurt a Virgo's feelings because you will never say something meaner to a Virgo than a Virgo says to themselves when they're by themselves. For this and so much more discussion about magic in general, be sure to check out the Faith Blind Council podcast at faithblindpodcast.com. You can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much wherever else you get your podcasts at. Thank you so much for checking out our show, and we hope to see you soon.